Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by the human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thanks very much, Alistair. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Madush. Please do keep that passage open in front of you as we work through it. Let's pray and ask God to renew us by his word. Our God and Father of peace, it's hard to be confronted with the truth that apart from your great love for us, we are separated from you and excluded from your people. Help us to see that the only road to restored relationships in this world is through your son, Jesus. Give us ears to hear and work powerfully in us to change us. Amen. My passport is green. I'm not a citizen of the UK. Maybe you're the same. It means that there are protections and privileges. Sometimes even a sense of belonging and stability that I just don't have access to. I, and if you're in my situation, we are legally excluded. We are cut off from those benefits. But I didn't always have a green passport. I started out with this. I was a foreigner here before I got there. And when I became a citizen, when I got this, it had a massive impact on my life straight away. For example, my education went from being out of reach to, okay, this is possible. We might actually be able to afford this. Uncertainty, fear, feeling like an outsider gave way to a sense of belonging and a real hope for a better life. 
Now, that was the experience of the Christians who received this letter. They were separate and excluded, but now they've been included. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you've probably noticed that we're slowly adding detail, color, texture, and depth to that picture that was painted in chapter 1. Do you remember God's plan to unite all things under Christ? That's what God is up to. That's what God has been doing in the world through human history. These Christians who received this letter had heard that message. They'd heard all that God has done in Jesus, and they'd believed it. And so, they have been included in what God is doing. In fact, they have been given starring roles. It's remarkable. We also, by faith, come to be included in God's plan in Christ. And so we also, just like them, get to be lavishly blessed in Christ. How amazing is that? Now, we've also seen that God's desire for us is that we would know him better. And the way we grow to know him better is by knowing our hope, the sum of all that we have in Christ, knowing God's inheritance, which is the church, us, his beloved, and knowing God's power to bring this all about. It's God's power that includes us in his plan and is now at work in us who believe. The detail that was emphasized in the first part of chapter 2 last week is how God makes dead people alive in Christ. By his immense power, he brings us under Jesus' rule. Now, this is all absolutely mind-blowing stuff. It makes you go, wow. It is amazing that God includes us, that we are a part of what he's doing. This week, uh, the text we're looking at emphasizes how we are united in Christ. And so take a look at it. Uh, to get us going, notice the groups that we're dealing with. Do you see in verse 11, there's a you? That you refers to the Gentiles, in contrast with the Jews. Uh, the Jews were an ethnic group. They were Abraham's family, uh, through whom God had promised to act to bless humanity. They grew into the nation of Israel. Gentiles refers to every other people group, every other nation of the world. Now, most of us here are Gentiles, and so I've taken the liberty of applying the descriptions to Gentiles in this passage to us. Now, notice with me the condition of Gentiles before we come to faith in Jesus. We were foreigners, separated from Christ and excluded from God's people. There were big cultural and religious differences between Jews and Gentiles. And that led to divisions between them, even in the church. So in verse 11, the cultural marker that sets the Jews apart is their circumcision. That was the sign of God's promises to them. That's what the word covenant is talking about. It's God's commitment to act for them, 
the Jews had real privileges. God had revealed himself to them. He had acted and spoken in their history. They had his promises. And God had given them his law. They were called to live distinctively as God's people, set apart from all the other nations of the world. Gentiles, on the other hand, were foreigners. Look how they described in verse 12. They are separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, without any rights or access to God's promises, without hope, and without God. It's a pretty sad and hopeless situation. Now, Jeremy already mentioned that there are all sorts of ways in which we are excluded. But consider with me Ali's story. He used to be a successful professional. He was a civil engineer with a budding career. But he was forced to flee his home country when he abandoned Islam for another religion. Now, without significant wealth, there are no legal ways to enter the UK. And so in desperation, he placed his life in the hands of people who would exploit him. He's one of the roughly 50% of people who survived the journey. That shows you how desperate he was. Did you know that in the first six months of last year, there were 30,000 migrants who applied for asylum in the UK? Do you know how many of those applications were approved? 46. Here's how he describes his situation. Nobody cares. Europe's talk of respect for human rights, he uses far less polite words, is nonsense. He's frustrated and depressed. I'm not asking for money, he says. I'm asking that they let me live and find a job. He can't work now because his papers aren't in order. He wants to contribute to society and to pay taxes. But he's legally excluded. He's powerless and without hope. Ephesians is saying that's the situation we were in. We were on the outside, separated from God and from God's people, hopeless. Now, I think it's fair to say that life apart from Christ is often characterized by division and conflict with the people in our lives. There are walls that separate us from God and walls that separate us from each other. I'm from South Africa, where to this day there is great animosity and mistrust between people of different ethnic groups. The apartheid years legally and effectively separated people. But that's not unique. There are ethnic conflicts all over the world and right throughout history. There is not a time or a place you can go to where you will not find those conflicts. 
even at a local level, where we are in London, there are things that separate us. Our accents, our postcodes, the kind of opportunities that we each have access to, our tastes in music, food, and sport. And we know the conflict that we encounter every day in our workplaces, our schools, at home. But now, take a look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Where we are powerless, in the sort of situation that Ali finds himself in, God, by his great power, includes us in Christ. Look at what he's doing in verse 14. There is a barrier, a dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. That barrier, we're told in verse 15, is the Jewish law. It's what sets God's people apart from everyone else. But Christ, through his sin-bearing death, meets the requirements of the law. And so he sets it aside. The law never had the power to change God's people. What it did was set them apart as a distinctive community. And in exposing their sin to them, it showed them their need to be changed from the inside out. Christ Jesus accomplishes that. We saw in the first part of chapter 2 how through our union with Christ, we die to sin and we are raised to new life. And so God is powerfully working in us to renew us, uh, to change the way we think and to change what we want out of life. That's the direction of travel of Ephesians. We, we're going to get there by the time we get to chapter 4. The point here is that that barrier that separates us is done away with. God's purpose at the end of verse 15 is to create one new humanity. The way he does that is that breaking down, he breaks down that barrier. And then in verse 16, as this one new body, as one humanity, he reconciles us to himself. So there's a, there's a logical two-step process here. It all happens in one moment, but there are two steps to it. At first, we have peace with one another. There is no longer a distinction between us. We are all in exactly the same position before God. And second, we are then reconciled to God. We have peace with him. There is one spirit who applies Christ's work to Jew and Gentile alike. He unites us in Christ. Now, this matters, that logical order matters, because we are not being called to create unity where none exists. We are being called to understand what God has already done and then live accordingly. We'll come back to that. 
don't miss that over here, the determining factor in experiencing this is that little phrase, in Christ, which we've come to over and over again over the last few weeks. There is no one who automatically becomes part of this new humanity. It is only by faith in what God has done in Jesus that we are included. And did you notice the result of what Christ has done? In verse 14, he himself is our peace. Verse 15, he makes peace. Verse 16, we're no longer enemies. Uh, the hostility is done away with. In verse 17, he proclaims peace. You get the idea, right? Where there was division and conflict, there's now peace. Now this, of course, is talking about the inclusion of Gentiles among the people of God. But it extends to every feature that would separate us. During the apartheid regime in South Africa, there were many horrific atrocities that were committed. In the aftermath, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was set up to bring some of those stories to light. The hope was that it would offer some closure and healing to the nation. At one of those hearings, there was a policeman named Van der Broek, and he recounted an incident where he and other officers shot an 18-year-old boy. It was completely unjustified. And so they burned the body to cover it up. Eight years later, the same policeman, Van der Broek, returned to the same house. This time, they took the boy's father. The wife was forced to watch as they tied him up, threw him onto a wood pile, poured petrol over his body, and set him alight. Could there ever be peace between that woman, that wife, and those men? Between her people and their people? The courtroom went quiet as the woman was given a chance to respond. The judge asked her, what do you want from Mr. Van der Broek? What would you have said? I want him to know what it's like to have his child, his wife, ripped away. I want him to know their suffering, mine. This is what she said. She asked the policeman to go to the place where they had burned her husband's body, to gather up the dust and give it to her so she could give him a proper burial. His head down, Van der Broek nodded in agreement. But then she added another request. These are her words from the transcript. Mr. Van der Broek took all my family away from me, but I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the township and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Van der Broek to know that he's forgiven by God 
and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him so that he knows my forgiveness is real. How is that possible? How could she respond like that? Ephesians 2 gives us the answer. Christ himself is our peace. See what it's doing? It's, it's tying our division and conflict with other people to our separation from God. And it is tying healing, restored relationships with other people to having a right relationship with God. Justice was not done in South Africa that day, nor in the months or years that have followed. But something else happened. Revenge continues the evil. Justice punishes it. But evil is overcome by good when the injured party willingly bears the cost, refusing to allow the conflict to go on. That is what that mother did in the courtroom that day. That is what Christ does for us on the cross by his blood. God is the injured party. Our sin is first against him but he gladly bears the cost to make peace with us. And that is the same pattern of grace that he makes possible in us, his people. Hang on to that, but let us consider the final image that this passage leaves us with. You see what Jesus' peace-winning work achieves in verse 19. It means that we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. We belong, and everything changes. Who we are is fundamentally different. We finally have that sense of belonging. We are included. We have access to brand new privileges. Although we are undeserving, we are lavishly blessed in Christ. It is remarkable. But then you'll notice the metaphor shifts. We move from a picture of national identity to the imagery of a building. We haven't just become fellow citizens, but members of God's household. And then we are given this crash course in construction. The foundation of the building is the apostles and the prophets. They speak God's words to God's people, making him known, revealing him to us. The cornerstone, the most important part of the building, is Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds the whole thing together. And as the building takes shape, we discover what it's for. That cool building behind me aside, look at verse 21. Do you see what it's for? It is God's home. It's where he lives. It's precious to him. That's what the temple is. And look at where we fit into it. 
in verse 22. We are the bricks. We are the parts of the building that are being joined together to form this home in which God lives. It's where he lives even now by his spirit. Have you ever conceived of yourself as a brick? It turns out that that is a basic part of my self-identity in Christ. Go home and write it down on a piece of paper and stick it on your mirror. I'm a brick. Because if we grasp that truth, it changes us. We realize that we have now become something different. It changes how we should think about our relationships, what we want out of them, how we act. Take a look with me where Ephesians is taking us. This is the direction of travel. Now take a look at chapter 4, verse 3. We're going to be called to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And notice that we're not being called to create unity where none exists. We're being called to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. God is the one who's accomplished this. Take a look down at uh, chapter 4, verse 25. Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why might the Holy Spirit be grieved? Well, if we break one another down with our words instead of building each other up, we are wrecking his home, aren't we? It's not surprising that it would make him sad. Chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ... God forgave you. Do you see that at every point, we have the option of living as what we were. Strangers, alienated from one another. Or, by God's resurrection power at work in us, as what we have become. Members of God's household. The bricks of his home. It can be really easy when you're not getting on with someone to just back off the relationship, to put it down to different personalities or preferences, to make very little effort to love or build the other person up. If they've sinned against you, to hold a grudge against them. But if you understand your place in God's plan and theirs, comes off the table straight away, doesn't it? However different from you they may be, however difficult, you will move towards them in love. There's just no other alternative. If you truly understand what it means that you have been included, 
you are going to experience an overflow of thanksgiving, a real sense of privilege. The glorious reality of all that we have in Christ, that we are the beloved of the Lord, that we are his great treasure, the home in which he lives, that is a deeper, richer, and fuller reality than any treasure chest full of goodies that you can get just for yourself. The God of peace has bought us a unity that only he can establish. We enter his presence together, arm in arm. I'm not the people of God. We are. That's why at Trinity Church, so much of our lives are worked out together. You can't do this Christian thing on your own. We don't just get together on a Sunday once a week. We meet up throughout the week with each other. We gather in small groups around God's word. We gather to pray. And we share our lives with each other in a meaningful way. There's other people here that know what's going on with me and who care. God has made us one. Now he calls us to grow up into that oneness. Again, that's the direction of travel of Ephesians. We are bricks touching bricks, members touching members as one new humanity. We are now the place that God lives. If you've been listening here tonight as someone who's still on the outside, who's not trusting in Jesus, then will you hear God's testimony? He's the hope for a divided world. He can bring healing and restoration where there is complete wreckage. There is nothing else that comes close to that. And he is the hope for you as you navigate your relationships with the people around you. Turn to him for peace. And if you're already following Jesus, but this truth, or the truth that we've been dwelling on, reflecting on over these last few weeks, is just not gripping you. If you're not finding that you're being wowed, as you read this, then take heart. Recall the prayer at the end of chapter one. There's another coming at the end of chapter three. Both of them are a cry for us to know God better, for us to know the love of Christ. That's what God wants for us. These truths that we are looking at are a window into his heart. Remember that we don't wake up one day, decide to shape up and make ourselves spiritually alive. We don't have the power to do that. That's God's work. God makes us alive in Christ. And so if you are his, it is because he has chosen you. And he is working in you even now by that same power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. There's nothing more immense than that. So take heart. 
you can turn to him with the full assurance that he is for you. He wants to win your heart. He wants you to be wild. And he wants to change you from the inside out. God, by his power, unites us to one another and reconciles us to God. He's the one who empowers us to love and to love each other. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing that you look upon enemies and treat us with kindness. We praise you that you have made peace with us by Jesus' blood and that you have united us to one another. Will you help us to grow up into that oneness? Amen.